very early this year. And I wanted us to spend a few weeks uh, talking about Jesus. Discovering Jesus. Is that okay with you? You know, a lot of times we, in the church world, we chase a lot of other things and we stray from the cross and we stray from the life of Jesus. And yet, there's nothing simple about the message of Jesus. It might come across simply simple, but it's complex and deep and transforming. And I want to look at different aspects about Jesus for the next few weeks and maybe an unexpected aspects of that. And today, we're going to look at Jesus in the silent years. Pretty much after all the happenings of his birth, between that time and the wedding in Cana where he turned the water into wine, there's a great gap in his life. Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old, and his ministry only lasted three years. But most of the life of Christ is unrecorded to us. It's silent. We don't know exactly what happened or what took place. Here in Luke chapter 2, we get one of the small, a very um, small window where we can view what his life was like as a young man. And we're going to start in verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. By the way, if you need a Bible, there's one available at the Communication Center. Or if you forgot one, we want to make sure you have a Bible. Chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says this, Every year the parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, uh, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like, like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and men. Like I said, most of Jesus' life from the time of his birth until his first miracle, we know very little about, or rather the water baptisms. But we do know this, is that God was using a process to prepare Jesus. Even though Jesus was the God of all creations, and in essence, God himself, the very Son of God, God chose to use a process to prepare him for ministry. Jesus, the God of all creation, the one who was existed before time began, and really he always existed, he was with the Father, and through him, as we know from Colossians chapter 1, that in him and through him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. He came to earth, and yet, he spent a very small amount of time, 33 years here. Most of that time, most of that 33 years, 
was used in preparation. It's an amazing thought. The God of all creation came to this world in a very small amount of time, even compared to you and I and most of our lifespans. And yet, of those 33 years, most of that time was spent in preparation. When I was in Bible college, one of my professors, he said, I wish I had a lifetime to prepare and then a lifetime to minister. I remember thinking, what's he talking about? I'm ready now. Let's go. And now I know exactly what he's talking about. Because when you get into the ministry, or you, get, you join a marriage, you get into a marriage, or you have this child that's thrust upon you and you enter parenthood, you never feel fully prepared. You're thrust into a new situation and you think, wow, I wish I would have prepared myself better. I wish I had more time. And I think that, that for most of us, that, that it's almost like we can never prepare enough for the situations that will come our way. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit and God to make up for our differences. But I want to suggest to you, Jesus laid out a great example to us, an example of preparation an example of patience, an example of timing. And the reason that's important is because some of us, we're getting impatient during our time of preparation and we don't realize that our Savior came before us and He set an example for us and and that preparation is a good thing because preparation is what helps us hold the blessings that are going to come our way. But it's always the time before. You know, when, when you're in the situation, when you're in, when you've started the marriage, or you become a parent, or you started a new job, or you are in a new ministry position, you think, man, I wish I had more time to prepare. But it's the time before that is when we get impatient. The years that we have to study, the time of waiting. We're waiting to graduate from high school. Before that, we're waiting for our driver's license. We're waiting to get married. We want to leave single life, and we can't wait to get married. We can't wait to get pregnant. It's that time. We can't wait to get into our ministry. That was gender-based, guys. see some of our college guys giggling down there. Come on, guys, get with it. Just joking. It's the time... The time period where no one recognizes your gifts yet. No one understands your calling yet. No one knows what's inside of you that God has deposited. But you, it's so real to you, but you're just not there yet. That's a hard place to be. But yet, Jesus, he went through that process by God's choosing. He went through the process of preparation and the silent years because that was God's plan for him. And Jesus had to go through a time of preparation or chose to. Why do we think we don't? Luke 2.52 puts it so well. It says, And Jesus in the NIV grew in wisdom and stature and in favor 
with God and man. Now, I, it's hard for me to even get my mind around that because the, the whole, and that's what's so wonderful about the gospel. When we look at Jesus' life, that paradox, he's fully man and fully God, and it, it just blows our mind and, and it makes us realize that, wow, this really is of God. This is not man-made. It's, it's too complex. It's too intricate. It's too um, divine. Our minds can't get around it. And that whole idea that Jesus had to grow, he had to grow in wisdom. Basically, Jesus had to mature. The message puts it this way, and Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by God and people. Well, I want want you to write this first point down because we can learn from Jesus in the silent years that God works through process. God works through a process. If Jesus went through a process where he had to mature, Jesus had to be seasoned, Jesus had to go through a period of preparation, then why do we pout and argue and resist when God is trying to take a little extra time to prepare us? We love the instant microwave food Fast food, the lottery, the instantaneous miracle. We like that. But can I tell you something? God loves process. He still does the miracles and he does the instantaneous. And I I just, that song we sang earlier, we're probably going to revisit at least the words of that later. Savior, he can move the mountains. That was alive in my spirit today that, that there's some mountains many of you have that God can move that mountain and get it out of the way. And he can do that and he wants to do that. And we love that about God. We love the fact that he can perform miracles and do the instantaneous. But the truth is God loves the process. And he puts the seasons and the rhythms and the timelines before us. And when he sent, he came as himself or came in the form of his son Jesus, he chose to go through a process before he even launched his ministry. Now if you begin to think about this, creation itself is a process. Everything in creation is a process. And as human beings and, and even our environment and, and our whole system that we're in, everything is progressing, uh, maturing. And, and there's a certain process. God loves that process, and he loves to do that. Romans 5, 3, and 4 gives us insight into why. This is Romans chapter 5, and it says, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Have you ever had a scripture that just ticks you off? I don't like that one sometimes. We can rejoice in problems and trials. That's for some of you who are more spiritual than me, but it is the word of God. But here's the reason why. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. God loves process. Because if everything was instant and everything was a miracle and everything just happened on our timeline, then we would never develop endurance. We would never learn what it is to hold on. We would never learn what it is to go through adversity. We would never understand what it takes to go through a process and we would be people without character. 
Can I tell you that God cares more about your character than he does your comfort? That's a hard principle to get down in our life. God cares more about your character than your comfort. And because of that, he'll take you through the test and he'll take you through the trial and he'll take you through the trouble and he'll say, I want you to persevere. I want you to get some perseverance in you. I want you to keep holding on. I want you to stay faithful. I want you to stick with the plan. I want you to hold on to my word because once you get through the perseverance, the the problem, you'll build character. And we can all reflect back on our lives and think, I'm stronger because I got through that test. I'm stronger because I endured. I'm stronger because I held, out, I held on to what God said. Process produces in its character we need to sustain for when the blessing comes to our life. Unfortunately, some people can't handle God's blessing and they can't handle uh, new levels of authority and they can't handle what God gives on them because they've never been through the process that developed the internal character to hold the blessing of God. Our character is what helps us hold on to our gifts. So God loves us enough that he doesn't give us things quickly every time. He says, I'm taking you through, so hold on, stay faithful, don't give up. Remember what I said, don't listen to this person, don't listen to that person. Hold on, because when you get through this, you're going to be stronger, you're going to appreciate it more, and you will have the type of character that I can take you further than you even imagined or dreamed anyway. Isn't that a good thing? God loves process, and so I know many of us, we're like, pouting and mad saying, God, why is this happening faster? God, why aren't you doing this on my timeline? God, what's the deal? Can I tell you that God loves you enough that he's saying, wait, hold on, endure, don't give up because I am building perseverance in you, which develops character. And that character is going to hold the blessing that's coming to your life. I think the hidden years and silent years are important for us. And I think that Jesus, he demonstrated that to us because here's the second thing. Our motivation is purified in the hidden years. Our motivation is purified in the hidden years. I had this really, you know, my first youth group I took over was a junior high youth group. And it was really great because it was already a really big group. And we had like 40 or 50 youth sponsors. And so I was like, I held a staff meeting and, I went up and preached, and I planned some big events, and I had all these adults who did the work for me. They would disciple kids, pick them up, and all that. And, and I, I remember I would train my adults, and I, and I meant this from the heart, because I had been discipled. I had been discipled by a guy named Brent Batson. He's a pastor in Austin, Texas. He had discipled me one-on-one, and so I would tell our staff, I'd say, it, it, you know, these junior high kids, it's that one kid that matters. You know, we had a big service and all that, but one kid matters. And you've got you've to minister to all these kids like they're the only kid that you have. And for those three years, I would reemphasize this point over and over and over again. It was kind of the theme of what I would talk about. Well, three years passed, and the Lord called me uh, to go help my, my mentor, not Brent, but John McKenzie, start a church in, in Texas. And one of the responsibilities John gave me, he said, I want you to be the youth pastor. I was like, well, that's great. I can do that. I've been... A, I've been a junior high pastor of this big group and all this. And so we had our one, our first youth service. And guess how many kids showed up? One. 
we didn't have a youth group. Because to have a youth group, we had a youth. Like, a group means more than one. I was a youth pastor. One youth. And I remember the irony of that from going to, from an atmosphere that's not much different from the one you're in this morning, uh, except teenagers, to one kid, a seventh grade girl, and Beth was pregnant on the time at the time, and we would meet, me and Beth, and little Abby, and, the, you know, I've lost my words, I don't know what to say there, but... Uh, so you stray from your notes and you go there. But me and Beth would, would, would meet uh, with this one, one student. And uh, God would remind me of the irony of that. You've been telling all these people all that matters is one student. All that matters is one student. Now can you live it out? And you know what? Because it's in that hidden time. Because you know when you're the youth pastor of one, you're not getting invited to go speak at youth camps. You know? And you're not, you know... It's like, hey, how's the youth group? How many kids you have? One. <laughs> and it was that season, one of many, that it was the hidden time. In the hidden time when there wasn't accolades and there, there wasn't pats on the back, but you had to, I had to, and Beth had to live out what we had already trained people to do. See, Proverbs 17.3 says it this way. It says, crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. I like the NLT. It says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Why are the hidden years important? Because the hidden years test the purity of our motivation. And Jesus is the God of all creation. He's come to redeem mankind. And ultimately, Jesus, his life would change the course of history. We know that the calendar today is divided by his life, B.C. and A.D. Jesus changed everything. But for years and years, he was in the carpenter's shop taking furniture orders. And I'm sure people didn't like the way he built that piece of furniture. And people probably uh, were rude to him. And I'm speculating here, but people probably were demeaning to him. We don't know for sure, but he lived a common life in Nazareth, not even the nicest city in Israel, a people who weren't considered the top class. And he lived, he wasn't born to royalty, he was born to a teenage mother who had the disgrace upon her because everyone except her and her husband thought that. They had fornicated before marriage and that they had had an illegitimate child. And she lived in that time in, in huge disgrace. He, he had a shadow of doubt on his life. Hidden, obscure. Only, only his mother, only his father, only maybe a couple of others knew that he was God in the flesh. But it was in the hidden years that he, he was tested. It was in the hidden years that he learned what it was like to sympathize with you and me. It was in the hidden years that it was deposited in him. Understanding that makes him our high priest that we can go to and who can sympathize with our weaknesses today. Can I tell you that everything you're going through today, God has a plan for that. He's depositing wisdom in you. He's depositing endurance in you. He's making you more of a person of character. So quit pouting, quit complaining, and begin to trust God and understand that it's in the silent year that, that your, your motivation's being tested. 
Hold on. If Jesus had to do it, why do we think we don't? You see, the sad part for me is that many men and women of God have failed the test God has set before them because they were not faithful to hold on to what God had promised. Patience is a word, you know, you always say, don't pray for patience, and everybody has a story like that, but I was looking at the word patience, and patience is a derivative of suffering. Patience is a form of suffering that we were suffering because we're holding on. We, is, man, we want to be married, and we believe God's called us to marry, but we haven't found that spouse yet. We have a vision to have children, but for whatever circumstance, we're not able to conceive or the adoption papers won't go through. We're suffering. We're holding on. We know God's taken us this direction, but we're holding on. We've been at our job, and we've been faithful, and others have been promoted while we've been looked over, and we're thinking, what's the deal, God? Well, what's happened? Can I tell you that God is keeping account? of your faithfulness and your character. And God is keeping account of who you are. And that might be a test for you now, but you stay faithful in that test. You don't, you don't uh, uh, compromise your convictions and who you are. Don't step back and don't grow faint at heart because you are going to finish that test. And right now, your motivation is being challenged and purified. Sil- the fire for silver, the fire for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Jesus told the parable of the talents, and we pick it up in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, where he says it this way. In the middle of this parable, you can read it in Matthew 25 later on. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Something that I I tell our leaders a lot, I'm like, listen, take that small job you do and do it well and it becomes a great job. The greatness of a job is not the status that's put on it. It's how much heart you put into that job. And when you take that job, and I think about Daniel, I think about Nancy who's going to help ride the van, be the best van driver there's ever been. Put your heart in driving that van. Be faithful with that because it's not the status of a job in the world's eyes. It's how much heart you put into that job and it's how much commitment you put on that. And if you're faithful in the little things, not saying driving a van's little, but I'm saying apply it to any area of our life. If you're faithful showing up and helping Beth Barnett clean this church. If you're faithful at getting back there with Deanna and helping her serve those kids, if you're faithful at at doing that small job that's given you and you do it right and you're on time and you're punctual and you put your heart into it, then God will say you're qualified for something more. Isn't that a great thing? He tests our motives. He tests our hearts and we are purified with that, I want you to take what you do, take the opportunity you have today, the opportunity you have with your family, the opportunity you have where you work, the opportunity you have in your church or this church, and do the best with what God has given you today because God may be testing your motives as he prepares you for tomorrow. Take what you have today and don't complain and don't pout and, don't, but, and say, I'm taking what I have today. I'm taking what's in my hand today and I'm doing the best with what I have right now. 
I want you to be encouraged because Galatians 6, 9. Man, if you don't know Galatians 6, 9, you know, take your Bible and like underline it, get a crayon. That's what I use. I mark my Bible up with crayons because, you know, the, the highlighters, they bleed through. It's no good. But Galatians 6, 9, that's just like a little discipleship point in here. Let us not, man, I love this scripture, become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In the trial, in the test, in the fire, staying faithful, not complaining, holding on to what God said, qualifying ourselves because we're faithful with the little so that when we have more responsibility and we're given more authority, we can handle what we have. And can I tell you something to the young men? If you treat the girls you take out well now, then you're not going to treat your wife well. So you treat the girls you take on dates with the same dignity, respect that you would want to to treat your wife with. And you do it the right way now because if you're not faithful and a gentleman with the girls now, then God's not going to bring you the great spouse that he wants to bring you. Faithful with the little things. Jesus demonstrated to us with his extended time of preparation, this extended time of silence, that there is a purifying process that happens in the silent years. So we find, and here's the last thing I want to share with you, last point, that a position or a platform does not make us. It reveals us. When you have a new level of authority, a new level of power, whether you're elected to a board at a church or you're promoted uh, to a new leadership position at your job or you enter into a family and all of a sudden you come into a blended family and there's children that aren't yours but you have a level of authority with them. All of a sudden, you know, when that happens, that kind of authority doesn't make you. It reveals you. Whenever the pressure comes, whenever the leadership eyes are on you, whenever the heat is turned up, a man or woman is not made in that moment. They're revealed of who they have become. And that's why it's so important that we don't try to shortchange the years of silence and the years of preparation. It's so important that we don't resist that and say, God, I don't want to go through the preparation. I don't want to go through the silent years because I'm ready now. Because if we try to to insist on taking a shortcut, then we'll never be able to handle what God has for us. You see, during the silent years, our values are formed. During the silent years, our convictions become cemented. During the silent years, our standards are established. Then when we get the position, we get the platform, we do not change who we are to match the authority we've been given. But the authority or position pulls out of us who we've already become. The authority or position pulls out of us our convictions, our standards, our values that have already been cemented through the time of preparation. Jesus went through that. He established that process for me, for you and me, for our lives. Can I tell you that I don't care what phase of life you're in, God is always preparing you because God is always in process. 
He's going through a process with you right now. He's preparing you for something. You need to trust him and understand that his work in you is trying to prepare you for something greater than you can imagine. But you have to believe in the goodness of God and believe that his plan for you is better than we can even imagine. I want to ask for musicians to come up and as uh, I'll see if, if Penny's not in here, if someone could go to the kids' room and get her. I finished this earlier than I anticipated. Jim, if you can go get her, thank you. Beth, you can just go on the keyboard while we're waiting on her to come. Today, I want us to, uh, to begin to lift up a value in our church. Is we're going to lift up the value of communion and what that means. Uh, it's been my custom and my leadership is to once a month to uh, take communion uh, as a corporate body. On the other Sundays, we like to make available communion uh, in my ministry, I like that. Uh, for those who typically like to do that on a weekly basis. But I believe the Lord God is speaking to some of you right now. He's been here to encourage some of you to not give up, to not let go. To let His example of preparation to bring us comfort and guidance and to be a sort of a, a compass to know that we're going in the right way and we're doing the right thing. I want all of us at this time, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because for some of you, God's been preparing your heart for a long time. He's been preparing you to live a life with Him. And you've been resisting and resisting, and today, can I tell you that it's time to let your resistance down. You cannot resist God forever. Jesus said that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The problem is, it's for those who do it in this life who will have eternity in heaven, and those who wait for the next life who will still suffer the damnation that comes in hell. You see, the reason Jesus went through the silent years, the reason Jesus spent those 30 years before his ministry and prepared himself, the reason he did it is because he loved you. And God's redemptive plan was established from the beginning of time that he would come down as a man and he would live a sinless life without error or without sin. And he would live it so he would be qualified in perfect holiness to die a death in your place. You see, there's always an end to the preparation. But for Jesus, that end is you. You are his prize. You are his goal. You are his possession. You are what he wants. He purchased you with his life. You see, we're so messed up that we're like, God, prepare me so I can have a great ministry. Prepare me so I can be successful because we're just human and selfish and prideful. Jesus said, God, you prepare me because I want to be slaughtered as the lamb who was slain for the salvation of man. Jesus said, God, you prepare me because I want to buy back my people whom I love. And he died for you. He prepared himself for you because he wanted you to live a life with Him. So God's been preparing you. He, you have been resisting. 
Can I tell you that many of you have lived in your own silent years, years without Christ, where you've resisted Christ and you've lived your own way. Can I tell you that today God's calling you, calling you before we take communion. He's calling you to make that change today, right now. This is a time. And I want you right now. If you say, this is my time, I'm going to start to your right, my left, to your right. I'm looking at the far right section of this room. If that's you, you say, this is my time to put my faith in Jesus and give my life to him, to know that I'm in heaven with him. At the far, your right, I'm looking at that section. Raise your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's three hands in this far right section. Thank you, Lord. I'm looking right here in the middle section. Raise your hand right now if this is your time. If this is your time. Anyone in the middle section? I'm looking at your far left, my far right, and say, I've been preparing myself. I've been resisting that, my, my preparation, but I know God's prepared himself for me. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. The, your far left, my right, raise your hand right now if that's you. Say, I need to make things right with God. I need to make things right with God. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand back there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're doing a work in our lives. I want everyone in the room to repeat this prayer to me. Every single person... For five people in here, this is going to be something because they're making their decisions to Christ this day. But for all of us who have already made our decision for Christ, we are going to join them in recommitting ourselves wholly to Him. Repeat after me. Jesus, I know You died for my sins. I know You prepared Yourself in the silent years because You love me. Thank You for coming to this earth. Thank you for dying for me. I accept your gift of salvation. I believe from this day forth, I will live for you. Thank you for the promise of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. How much He loves us. He loves us. You see, we talk about all this stuff, and I, you know, in, in my in my salvation call, I I reference this that you know we're always preparing for something for ourselves, but really, we should be preparing ourselves just to be His vessel. Amen. And the more we prepare the more it's about Him and not us. And the better prepared we are, the more it's about Jesus and not us. You see, the thing I prayed with our team here before we started worship today, I prayed with two different teams, our prayer team at 9.50 and our our worship team at 10.30, and I prayed the same thing. I said, Jesus, let your name saturate this service. Let this service be about you, not about the church at Indian Lake or programming and all that stuff, but about Him, about what He wants for us.